The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello there, I'm Austin Bristow, and you're listening to On The List. For episode 20 on Saturday, March 6th, my guest is Pitchless Community Manager, Daniel Port. Dan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Austin. Good hey, to be here. My pleasure. Now, for those of you who haven't joined us here on the list, each week I am joined by a writer from the Pitcherless staff. We like to talk baseball, we discuss what they've been working on recently, and we do a mailbag session at the end where we answer your questions. You can send those questions directly to me on Twitter at Bristowski, or even easier, you can hop onto our PL Plus Discord server where I ask for uh, questions every week. Now, Daniel, where can the people find you on Twitter? I am at, at Daniel J. Port. Uh, pretty straightforward is my name, uh, but yeah, I'm on there talking about podcast talk about baseball whatever you need fantastic i i have said this before and i'll say it again i don't talk about baseball that much on my twitter but i should i'm kind of the same way i should talk about it more uh you see a lot more of me sharing food and uh things i build <laughs> oh yeah we'll, we'll talk food later oh that's wow. that's that's in the plans here well all righty so well, let's go ahead and we will just get straight into it the people want to know who is daniel port so nice open-ended question to kick us off here just <laughs> tell me a bit about yourself yeah so thanks um so i'm originally i've been i bounced around kind of the whole uh united states where i've lived but i was originally born out in uh, cleveland ohio which if you know me for more than about 10 minutes i'm sure i will bring it up um i am I half my clothes say cleveland on them somewhere um uh, I'm kind of Cleveland's a lot like almost like Chicago that the moment you meet someone from Chicago, you find out they're from Chicago. Cleveland's kind of the same way um, as someone who is from two hours south of Chicago, but uh, has many friends from there. You're very right. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, uh, was born and raised out there. Uh, uh, sort of went from there, lived out there till I obviously graduated uh, and went to college. I went to college actually down in Florida. Um, and I ended up getting a theater degree, the most useful degree I could ever think of getting. I got a theater degree, uh, doing lighting and sound and then moved out to San Francisco, uh, and did lighting and sound work out there. And then, um, my girlfriend got a job, uh, working out here in Boulder. And so we moved to Denver from there. So I've been kind of bouncing all around. 
Um, as I mentioned, I do theater work, uh, mostly concert lighting um, for a living. So um, I, it's kind of wild. You meet uh, our venues, like, small but big enough that we get some big names. So I've done lighting for, like, Art Garfunkel, and uh, we get a lot of, like, uh, you know, kind of like that level of, uh, I think we had, who was it? Um, we had a couple of the outlaw country guys come through. Um, oh, cool. Like Waylon Jennings and like those kind of guys. We've done a, like some really interesting acts, but then we also do a lot of stand up. So um, I have met like like Nick Offerman, um, Nick Kroll, like a couple of guys like that. Or we did lighting for them was really fun. Um, I enjoy that like everything you think about uh, Nick Offerman, by the way, is like true. He seems like a really nice, but kind of off the wall kind of goofball guy. I believe he looked at me and he walks up to me and goes, Daniel, uh, Daniel, right? That's your name? Because it's on those cheats they get. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, what I want you to know is I'm a pretty easygoing guy, and all I want you to do is give me your finest lights and gobos in all the lands. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And he just seemed like a really funny guy. So uh, that's kind of what I do when there's not a pandemic going on. Um, See, I doing this show, I, I every time I think I know everyone and kind of know what they're about – but I keep learning things about the people that I yeah. interview. I had no idea you worked in lighting. I, I myself, I think I've told you I have a theater minor. Worked in, mm-hmm. I did did some theater work uh, in college and a little bit after. Um, I I did a bit of lighting in my day. I enjoy enjoy designing lights, but I'm not good at it. <laughs> nice, yeah. No, uh, it's kind of one of those things you do enough times, and you kind of start to see everything you know and, yeah uh, i was originally a painter in high school and that was like the closest thing i could do to like be like i might get paid to do this kind of colors and lights thing for a living uh, oh yeah i mean I get, so, theater you know. lighting is basically all color theory oh yeah um I, I have gone on many a rant of being like well i wouldn't have used red here and they're like why well it inspires a feeling of this and they're like it's the you know you're painting your bedroom dan I'm like no <laughs> I, as uh, as an artist, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, um, just about me. I've been a I'm been an athlete my whole life. I play a lot of sports. Um, never really played baseball much because if you were to see a full thing of me, I'm built like a uh, like a rugby player. I'm short and wide, you know, kind of as I built. So I, I played football. I played rugby. Uh, uh, softball. I still play, but that's more an excuse to drink beer and run around. Um, uh, but so I've always kind of been a sports guy. I've always loved sports. And then um, I'm actually right now getting a master's in science and sports analytics at uh, American university. So I'm also nice. doing that as well. Very nice. Yeah. Well, I assume being from Cleveland, you are a uh, Cleveland baseball club fan. I am. They're making it really hard right now, but yes, I, I'm a <laughs> diehard fan of that team. Yeah. What? What uh, do you have a general take on the renaming of the club, and what would you like to see it be named? I I am all for it. I have been asking for it for years. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things that once someone really, I was probably like my early twenties or something, and someone pointed out to me. Uh, like, you know, the thing where they're like, look at Chief Wahoo. That was the old, really mm-hmm. racist mascot. And they're like, look at the look at the logo. And I'm like, OK. And they're like, look back at me and I'm going to tell you it's racist and look back at it. And now look at it. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yep, it's one of those things. Once <laughs> like you see it, you go. can't unsee it. Right. And so I've been 
uh, really wanted to do it for years. I, I think it's a, a great, great thing. And part of it, too, is that I'm a big fan of I love when teams have, uh, you know, a name or a mascot or a logo or anything that like you get a sense of the, the city, you know, in and of itself. Um, you know, I love when I used to live out in San Francisco was back when they did the um, if you watch the NBA, the Golden State Warriors have these these uh these the city jerseys and it's like and that's mm. what a lot of people call San Francisco it's just the city and it's got like the Golden Gate Bridge on it. it's got these logos and you're like yes that's kind of San Francisco and so I'd love to see Cleveland do something like that where Cleveland if you spend any time in it, it's basically like one of the cities it's like it's Cleveland versus the world and they love nothing more than things that are Cleveland and from there and so I'd love to see them adopt a logo that's a little more like that and the one I kind of I outside of it's kind of growing to me. I love them to just stick with the Cleveland baseball team. They do it like soccer style, yeah. you know. Um, there's if you go into Cleveland, uh, built way way back, uh, the city's very Art Deco in the, when it was built in its style. There's one of the major bridges that runs through it. Have these four statues on either side of the bridge, and they're called uh, they're called the Guardians, right? And they're they're gorgeous. They're these really cool uh, statues, and they kind of just are one of those things that I always remember seeing like when i think of cleveland and stuff like that so i think uh, the the name of the guardians has been or guardians has been tossed around and i kind of would love to see them go with that one but i also like the spiders uh it works just fine for me good call all around now i would like to uh interrupt the regularly scheduled podcast here Ooh. um because uh we myself and michael ahedo are on the clock the two of us are co-owning a guillotine team, and uh, it is now our pick in the fifth round. So, uh, Daniel, I'm going to have you help me make our pick here. Excellent. So, uh, I'm going to run run down my team real quick. It's eight. It's a points league uh, that slightly favors starting pitching, uh, but it's pretty pretty uh, well rounded. So, we got the third pick out of 18 teams which is a lot. And the general uh, gist here is it's one of our wacky leagues is if you, uh, if you have the least amount of points at the end of a week, you are cut. You are done playing in this league and all of your players go to the waiver wire to be picked up by the rest of the teams. So with all that in mind, uh, my team so far is Juan Soto in the first round, then Ozzy Albies and Rafael Devers, we just got Glaber Torres. Four picks just went by. We, uh, Mikey and I had been discussing names such as Nick Castellanos, Jeff McNeil, Anthony Rizzo, things, guys like that. Any thoughts on uh, what direction we might want to go here? I, I feel like out of those guys, I definitely like Castellanos um, the best out of them. I think it depends on kind of what you're looking for. I feel like... I love Jeff McNeil, but I think he gets hurt a little. He's always kind of struggling with staying in the lineup a little bit more. And I, I God, I love Anthony Rizzo as a player, but I just, he starts so slow uh, typically in a season and just hasn't been really that great uh, the last couple of years. But I, I could see wanting to get rid of, he'd be fine to like, if you wanted to fill first base. But I think out of those three, I probably end up going Castellanos, but uh, I think those are probably three good guys to target. I think that's what I'm leaning towards as well. And you know yeah. what? We're going to go ahead and do it. So I am on the air making my Castellanos pick. I love it. Yes. 
Now you know who to blame once you get guillotined. Exactly. It's your fault. That's right. (laughs) Perfect. Well, rolling back to what you were discussing, because Mm -hmm. I was, I promise I'm paying attention. I'm a good host. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I feel like we needed an air horn for that, where it's like, or like when your team came up and then we know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I actually had not heard, uh, the guardians been thrown around, but that's a unique name. And I didn't know about those four statues either. Like I, I think I've been through Cleveland once in my life. Like I've driven Mm -hmm. through, but not spent any amount of time there. Um, I think that one honestly sounds like it'd be a great alternative uh i've seen some of the spiders uh jersey mock-ups and logo mock-ups i think those are great um it is a little just kind of general like it's mm-hmm. not any team could be the spiders out of any city right but yeah the guardians that's that's nice yeah that's the one that's my favorite front runner there's a couple others that go through its history of like uh weirdly enough for a, a lake in the middle of a big giant landmass it's got its own like naval history because of the War of 1812, so there's a lot of, like, uh, Commodore Perry is a very famous uh, admiral that was in that area, stuff like that. So that was the other one. The Commodores have been put out through that area, and I like that one, too. But the Guardians are just kind of my favorite. And, you know, I think that at the end of the day, like I said, I'm a big fan of, especially for a lot of these uh, more Midwestern, more lesser-known cities, I I like them to, to give us some idea of who or what they're famous for. No more the utah being called the jazz or something like let's let's have them be accurate to what they do and their culture and things and you know so for me that's kind of just the the way i sort of lean with it but uh as long as it's anything but what it is now i'm in (laughs) yeah no i absolutely agree that if we could have more team names that you know call to the history of the city a bit uh like for example um in the custom world that i made in out of the park baseball like my yes. custom league there uh i have a team in um new orleans called the jazz mm-hmm. or the uh st louis team is the pioneers things along those lines where it's kind of that gateway to the west sort of thing yeah um, i like so, that so yeah i think there's certainly you know pathways for th- these things to happen the only thing I ever think of when I think of Cleveland is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, right. I mean, Colorado's kind of already taken the Rockers thing. But Cleveland Rockers would be neat if that wasn't already taken. Yeah, and a lot of people throw that one around. I, I love that. And, you know, um, the other one that everyone wants to go, if you ever – you might be a little too uh, too uh, young for this one, um, Austin. But if you remember the Drew Carey show uh, when that was out. Drew Carey's from Cleveland and the show takes place in Cleveland. Right. And uh, it was sort of one of our big moments in the sun as a city. So obviously we worship at the, the ground Drew Carey walks on and the whole theme song of the Cleveland rocks, Cleveland rocks, Cleveland rocks. So a lot of people have thought about going that route, but they think it would be probably too, like you put it too messy with the Rockies as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that would be good. I think they're trying to shy away from going to, to rock and roll forward because it is that thing that's like it's the only thing anyone knows about it exactly you know but uh so a lot of people in cleveland are kind of sick of it if that makes sense you that, know that's but, fair but man on the other hand it like 
I remember, I'm not wearing it right now, but it's somewhere around here, uh, the logo from the All-Star game when it was in Cleveland, oh. where it's that guitar, like, into the baseball. But, oh, God, it was so good. So I also kind of think it could be cool. Absolutely. And I, on that note, have you seen the Atlanta um, All-Star game logo? No, I haven't. Um, I'm going to have to Google it right now. I know. You got to pull it up real quick. It is nothing special and i'm so disappointed because i i uh, it's like it it is akin a little bit to truest field like it's kind of got the trellis at the top there mm-hmm. um but it's very much it's very bland it's just like a star it says all-star game it says atlanta that's about it. It, it. There's so much they could have done with that. Make it a peach at the very least. Yeah, that kind of. I'm with you. That disappoints me a little bit because I know. Remind me, Austin. You're a Braves fan, right? Correct. Um, and so obviously, in some ways, the game means uh, a bit to you in that sense, and and how it kind of portrays it. In the same way, like I went home for the Cleveland game. Like I, I was in Cleveland for it. It was a really cool thing. Um. What kind of disappoints me is so uh, when I, as I mentioned, I went to college in Florida. I went to college in this town called Lakeland, Florida, uh, in a college called Florida Southern College. And to get there, I drove every time. I didn't really fly. So I'd get my pickup truck and I'd drive from Cleveland down uh, to Florida. And where I, you you don't want to make that drive. It's like 17, 18 hours. And it's a long enough drive that like you can do it in one sitting, but you don't want to. So you always stop somewhere. And so what I would do is I'd drive the first day. And I'd always stop depending which highway I wanted to take down because you either take 95 or 75 down. I think it was 95 or 75 uh, down. And you'd either stop in – I'd always either stop in Savannah or Atlanta. And I'd stay overnight, hang out in the city for part of the day, and then I'd make the last like 10 hours of the drive. And so I like – Atlanta's kind of near and dear to my heart because I actually have spent probably three or four times a year. I'd spend a day there and just wander around. And, like, it's just such a really culturally rich city. It's got a lot of cool stuff going on. And, yeah, you're like, if nothing else, you know, lean into the peach or do something. But I think they definitely could have done something more interesting than that. I agree. Yeah, it's it's very bland. And I had COVID not been a thing, I don't even know what their plan is for, like, fans in the stadium. There's There's... There still might be a non-zero chance that I attend the All-Star game or at least mm-hmm. some of the stuff this this year for the All-Star weekend. So as I, I will probably own some stuff with the logo on it. So it's just like, oh, yeah, this is, yeah I, I wish this was more unique looking. That is a shame. Uh, if you do go, uh, uh, I highly recommend if you go to anything, it's usually a little more affordable and easy to get tickets for. But it's also it was just really fun. Um, the, I highly recommend the celebrity softball, uh, futures game night. They like Ooh. pair them together and uh, that we went to that, me and my dad, and it was super fun. Uh, cause it's all like, they usually get celebrities from the area, uh, you know, come out and then, you know, it's suddenly these grown men and women who are like famous playing, you know, the same game we play with beers and, you know, short fields and stumbling around bases and acting like goofballs. It's a lot of fun. That sounds I fun. recommend it. I will have to check into that. Yeah, it's we're going to do our best, my wife and I, are, to get down there. So fingers crossed. Oh, nice. Well, that was a, a bunch of tangents mixed in there. But long story short, you're a Cleveland fan. Yep. And you've grown up a Cleveland fan. Now, 
Who has been your favorite player throughout your life? You know, for me, and there's a couple, especially for my childhood, a couple of really good possibilities. You know, I had almost prime Manny Ramirez to watch when I was a kid. There was Jim Tomei, um, you know, a lot of really great players for me. It was always Kenny Lofton, and it always will be Kenny Lofton. Um, he was the center fielder, for those of you who are, may not be familiar with the 90s era um, uh, Cleveland Indians. But they, um, he was their center fielder and tragically wasn't uh, really in the running for the Hall of Fame or anything like that, but was one of the best defensive center fielders of all time. And he was just uh, blazingly fast. Like, imagine if, like, Billy Hamilton could hit, basically, right? <laughs> and... When I was a kid, especially, but even now, and I was a when I played when I was younger, I was pretty fast. Before I hurt my knees uh, playing football, I um I was a base stealer, so of course I love the base stealers. But you know he'd steal seventy something bases a year in his prime and stuff like that. So he's really exciting. He was a fun guy. And he was just kind of like that. He had that like not full on personality of like a Griffey type, but he kind of had that swagger and fun to his Absolutely. game. So I just really loved Kenny Lofton. That's a great one. I, it's so funny that how just as sports fans, we can just react to a statement. When I heard you call him one of the best defensive center fielders of all time, uh, even though you weren't saying he was the best, yeah. my, my brain immediately was like, no, Andrew Jones. <laughs> immediately, my brain was like, how dare you? <laughs> And to be fair, you've got a really fair argument there. You know, um, man, Andrew Jones is just so good. Uh, he's is he still on the ballot for the Hall of Famer? He's did he still finally on the ballot. Okay. Uh, Four hundred home runs and twelve Gold Gloves. It's a crime that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I was about to say it's good enough for me. It's <laughs> I think crime. once you get the double digit Gold Gloves. Uh... <laughs> oh, here's here's a uh, here's a fun trivia thing for you. Oh, go for it. What player? Uh, has the most gold gloves ever. I mean, I guess. Like, I feel like the low, the low hanging fruit guess would be Ozzy Smith. It's a very good guess. It's not correct. Interesting. I believe Ozzy has thirteen or fourteen. Okay. The, the correct answer, uh huh, if you want it, is Greg Maddox. Oh yeah, that makes sense. He wants just so many as a pitcher, and like uh, just year after year after year, right? Yeah. Yep. Greg Maddox, I believe, has like fifteen. Wow. Uh, eighteen. <laughs> eighteen gold gloves. Yeah, that that's one of the best uh, trivia to throw out to your baseball loving friends because no one ever thinks pitcher when you think of gold gloves, right? So it's that's a, just a great little. Hey, bet you bet you a beer that you can't guess who has the most gold gloves. I never would have gotten that. That's really good. I like that. Huh. It's like eighteen gold gloves for Greg Maddox in his career. That's wild. I know it's lot. insane. <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about your uh, tenure here at Pitchless. You've been here for some time now. It came mm -hmm. on in twenty eighteen. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Um, right at the right around Thanksgiving of twenty eighteen. Yeah. So. In your time here, you've done a little bit of everything, really. Mm -hmm. um, have there been any particular articles or projects or anything like that you're, you know, especially proud of? Yeah, there are definitely a couple of them out there. I think um, the one that, if I really had to pick one, there's a specific article 
Um, I had written, gosh, this had been not this previous year, but the year I think. Uh, no, it's right. Yeah, right before this year, uh, this past season. So before the 2020 season, I wrote an article about uh, John Means of the Orioles, right? And a weird sort of, you know, everyone's got a, I like to call him, uh, and I'll, I'll promise I'll keep it PG-13 here, Nick, uh, for you. But I, I feel like everyone has a baseball kink, and it's just like that thing that they just can't quit. It, <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know, if they're terrible. If they do that one thing, you're like, yeah, I'm in. Good enough for me. Uh, and, like, you know, I've got a couple of them throughout the world. If you put, like, for instance, horns in a, in a song, like a pop <laughs> song, you put horns in it, I'm in. Uh, my girlfriend makes fun of me. Uh, if you get a group of people all dancing the same dance at the same time, I am absolutely in on it. You know, like a dirty dancing style like type thing in uh, stuff like that. You're a sucker but, but, for Bollywood. I, I really am. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, in baseball, for me, it's it's change ups. I like there's just this beautiful thing to a change up that I just like I don't know why it works for me, but I love them. So I started looking at the John Means because, you know, people start saying, oh, he's got a killer change up. And I was like, cool. So I dive into him and I start uh, writing this article about like this idea of because uh, everyone kind of when I start bringing him up, we're like because this is before we, we kind of start catching on to him. He had just had a really good season with the Orioles and everyone's like, oh, well, he doesn't, you know, doesn't really have the velocity uh, or the fastball or anything else to to kind of, uh, you know, uh, to, to succeed. And I was like. I wonder if there's like a template for this. Like, are there players like this? And so I reached back to another changeup pitcher who was like the probably the progenitor of this kink for me, uh, which was Kyle Hendricks. And I love Kyle Hendricks uh, so so Don't much. We all, yeah. And so I made I wrote this article comparing uh, John Means and Kyle Hendricks and Zach Greinke um, as another pitcher who was having a lot of success without uh, without a lot of velocity. Uh, and said, okay, these two pitchers represent blueprints for what John Means should do to to improve, right? So I write the article. It gets published, and it gets like some people noticed it, but again, it was kind of like a a pitcher on the Orioles when the Orioles stunk, like who who there wasn't didn't get a ton of fanfare. Um, and then I get a message from uh, someone who, for his sake, I don't know if he wants cares if I do or not. I'll leave uh, a bit anonymous, but one of the other sort of fantasy baseball people out in the world, and he mentioned that. I, he had heard from a, a member of the uh, the Orioles organization that they had seen the article and were like, you know, that's actually the biggest one was um, if you the biggest point of it was if you read a lot of my stuff or listen to me talk a lot. I'm a big believer in location for pitches, especially if you can locate something at the edge of the zone and then out of the zone for like mm-hmm. curveballs or things like that, that when a batter only has like, say, you know, what God's like. A one sixty fourth of a second or whatever to react to uh, uh, to a pitch. If you can make them hesitate for one second, like is that a strike or is that a ball? And it's right on that border, and you can throw it both ways. What are they going to do, right? And so that's one thing I really like. When you take uh, elevate a, a really crazy breaking ball to the next level, that's usually how you do it: is be able to like drop at the bottom of the zone consistently, and then also drop it out of the zone. And so I wrote this article saying that's what he really needs to start doing with a lot of his pitches. And the response I'd gotten from this guy was, yeah, this guy from the Orioles organization noticed it and was like, I think I'm going to pass that all on. I think that's got some really good info in it. And I was like, wait, you mean to, to John Beans? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, that now. <laughs> 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 and like, so that was obviously a big like confidence boost for me and it felt really good um, to have something written. They're like, yeah, this makes sense. It would be the logical thing a 
someone should do to improve. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm figuring this baseball thing out. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, so that was kind of one that I'm always particularly proud of. That's very cool. It's so cool to hear stories like this where we, like, Pitcherless seems to be blowing up a little bit. We got Alex mm-hmm. Fast working with Baseball Network and ESPN every once in a while. Nick, of course, doing all the things he does. But then we, you see a lot of our other writers who've got, like, fewer than a thousand followers on Twitter where they'll post an article and the player that it's about will like favorite it or retweet it or something or something like that and it's like oh okay i just wrote an article about you know john means and apparently he read what i said that's it's just it's so crazy to uh, go from kind of where where we started where when at least when i was came on in 2017 to here it's it's so cool it's a really wild ride. I mean, that's one of those, those funny things. That that's a rush. I don't know if I um, if I've ever quite experienced something like that in that way. Because like, so when I went to college, like I mentioned, I went to college for theater. I actually went to college to be a playwright. That's what I was originally studying was to write plays. And um, I've I had I've had a couple plays put on, and that is like the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is like. You write this thing and the writing process is super fun. You put it out there and suddenly you look out and there's, you know, a couple hundred people in the, in the seats and you're like, I want to die. (laughs) You know? And even when they applaud and everyone's cheering at the end, you're still like, it's okay. I'm dead. I already died. (laughs) You know? And this is like a whole different rush. You're just putting it out there and you're like, yeah, I'm just putting my thing out. And if anyone cares, cool. And suddenly you're like, well, the, the, the most important person to care cares. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yup. Like, they, they they read this and they thought it was good. And it's like, oh, oh, <laughs> neat. Another fun theater tangent, because when else do I get to talk theater anymore? Yeah, there you go. Um, so I was definitely more on the acting side uh, mm-hmm. when, I, when I was more involved in the theater community. But one of my very good friends... Uh, is a brilliant playwriter um, cool. and just a writer in general. He's fantastic. And he spent about five, six years writing a play uh, that we ended up my senior year putting on at our school. And uh, it's a, it's a <laughs> three act, like three hour epic drama about yeah. these, these two um, about these two immortals who can only die if they kill each other, but they're best friends. So they don't want to do that. And they've just been together for years. However, one of them is tired of life and wants to move on. And that's the, that's the show for three hours. I dig it. I want want to see this now. (laughs) I I can send you a recording. I, I, uh, I was, I was, lucky enough to uh be able to be one of the actors in it it was it it was the best acting experience in my life it was so much fun but what uh where i think this guy actually really shines we did we do also do a thing in my school uh called 24-hour play festival oh yeah okay where uh starting at 7 p.m on friday we start Mm -hmm. writing plays they have to turn in their written 10-minute play uh by midnight oh, and it, yeah five hours to write a show 
And then we put together the sets, we cast all the shows, the actors learned their lines, and at 7 p.m. on Saturday, we do we put on a show of like six 10-minute plays. That's wild. That's so it's, cool. That's really it's fun. Ridiculously stressful. I I directed the festival twice in my four years there, and it was so much fun every time. But it's so freaking stressful, and you get so little sleep. Oh yeah, I can't even imagine. That's wild. Uh, I, like, it's one of those funny things that I think a lot of times people don't look at the arts like they're hard. And it's like, do you know how many nights I didn't sleep through when I was in college put on a play? Oh yeah. Stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I had the titular role in that 3-hour show mm-hmm. that I mentioned. And for that semester, uh on top of my studies, I any time that I wasn't like actively doing homework, I was memorizing lines because I I think if you added up all the uh, amount of time that I was speaking, out of the three hours, I probably was speaking for at least an hour. Oh my god! I had so, so many, so many dense lines in that show. It was wow. so much fun, though. I'll send you a link. I love, it. I love to see it and hear it. Yeah, um, I'm, that sounds awesome. I'd love to get back into doing more stuff like that. I feel like the avenue now with podcasts and like radio dramas being a thing again is like, all right, this is this we can work with this maybe exactly. someday. We need some. We need a picture list uh, radio drama hour. Yes, I'm in. Let's do it. Done. <laughs> I mean, Fast was a theater guy too, so like we yeah, got, we got some we got some names. We can work know. with it. I, I believe Ger- I think German was a theater guy too. I think you're right. Yeah. And I mean, See. there's an uh, there's enough other personalities get get uh, get Metzlar in on it. It'd be it could be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, like at some point, I feel like uh, you know. Like, we could probably get a Jetto into it. Like, he'd do, you know. Oh, yeah. Stick him on there and let him do his thing. He'd be fine. (laughs) I'm in. Let's do this. All right. Perfect. Well, besides baseball, besides theater, what what other kind of stuff is Daniel Port into? So, one thing I know you and I share in common as well, side of our theater, is our love for uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. uh, obviously, for those of you who, do not, who may not have caught it or don't remember, actually, Austin and I were part of Petrolist doing uh, D&D for a while. Um, so much I'm, fun. Oh, my God. Just the best. So, so much fun. Um, and I've been playing probably Dungeons & Dragons in some form. To give you an idea, I'm 35. I think I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons since I was like 14 Dang. or so. Yeah. Um, and it was the weirdest thing how I got into it was um, I was a wrestler in high school. And, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, if you've ever been to a wrestling tournament or anything like that, they are the most long drawn out, boring things ever, unless you're wrestling. Right. And you have a wrestling match lasts like, like four, you know, like four and a half minutes if you go to the whole thing. Uh, and, um, so for four minutes and 30 seconds, a couple times a day, you sit there. We used to get to these tournaments at like eight or 9am and we'd leave at like midnight. You know, so you're there all day and you just need to kill time, you know, during these things. And, and, you know, you're usually too amped up to like sleep or do stuff like that. And so my buddy shows up one day, um, one of my best friends uh, comes in and goes, hey, so I do this this thing called Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, it's just a great way to kill time. You ever want to try it? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Brings it in. And we we just that's how we spent our tournaments. Uh, 
was so playing cool. D&D, and so I've played it ever since. But, oh, just, it's the best, like, mix of, like, I don't know, whatever, I love a game like that where it's, like, whatever you want to get out of it, you can. If you're, like, the the video game RPG players, like, I just want to, like, min-max and destroy everything, create the most powerful being I can, you can do that. If you're, like, I want to have some weird personality clerk, uh, quirk to play through or do something like that, explore something like that. You can, if you just want to be like, ah, you know, I, have, I like having a role to play and I like doing these things. You can do that. Like, it's just something for everybody. I love it. I, I, I love it. Tell me about either your favorite character you played or one that you're currently playing. Ah, so currently we're doing, um, uh, so interesting enough, my original D and D group, we still, we're all best friends in high school, and we're still friends now. So we still get together once a week and play Dungeons and Dragons. That's over, amazing. Uh, I know, right? Uh, over Zoom, and we we decided to go old school. In the past, we've always like built our own stuff, and we're like, man, we're like adults. We don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> and so this time we said we're going to do a module. It's going to be really fun. And so we end up doing. We're like, well, if we're going to do that, we have to do the classic. And so we did. Uh, we're doing Curse of Strahd right now. Right. Perfect. And uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Curse of Strahd, it's like the classic like OG module sort of setting for Dungeons and Dragons. And it's essentially it's it's essentially all like a, a Dracula sort of related kind yeah, of you're very Victorian on. horror sort of thing. Yes. And it's so much fun. Um, and I decided that I was going to be I'm a I'm a cleric in it. But I love one other weird tangent of things that I love is uh murder mysteries and like you know detective stuff you know give me like a detective procedural or something and i'm in right but like sherlock holmes and agatha christie and all this stuff i love that stuff and so i decided i wanted to basically make like imagine if it was a dwarf but the dwarf was like essentially like a sherlock holmes hercule perot sort of like you know investigator type character so it's got all the weird personality quirks to it too and it's a little off the wall, but, you know, basically it's also, like, hyper-observant and notices things and occasionally, like, interrupts you to be like, well, the dust on your shoes tell you that uh, you've actually been outside and in this area of the country, you know, kind of thing, and, like, just be really weird about it. And so that's the character I've been playing right now, and it's been super fun uh, putting that in the middle of this, like, super dark, you know, dreary world. Uh, But so that's been the latest thing I've been doing. It's been really fun. I just last night got to introduce a new character in the longest running campaign I've been doing. Um, it is a kobold uh, artificer mm-hmm. um, who rides a giant mechanical badger and <laughs> and uses uh, a, a, a self-built rifle as her main weapon. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> My, like yeah. you can do all that kind of stuff in D it's, it's so much fun it absolutely is it's the rule to cool times a thousand like if you can think of it you can make it happen uh, in a lot of ways um uh, my favorite too is whenever you get that look um if you ever when you have a dm when you get that look on a dm where they're like uh you get uh, where they just like have this like defeated like why, why would you do that to me? Look, it's like my favorite thing in the world. Uh, the campaign I did before this, uh, no, it's like two or three campaigns ago. I, I was, uh, so I like had summoning spells and we're leveled all the way up. And so, uh, we're fighting this thing and he's getting all pumped about us fighting this thing. He's like, Oh, this is going to be epic. And all I did was summon the, the summon spell could summon a celestial triceratops. And I did that, but I did it like 15 feet above the bad guy. 
And so it fell on him. And he just like, you could see him just look at me and be like, why? Why would you do this to me? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so this is the kind of fun stuff with D&D you can do. Everyone's like, oh, my God, these nerds. But it's super fun. It's a really <laughs> rewarding experience. I love it so much. Honestly, if people are still listening, they already know we're nerds. That's We've been fair. talking pretty heavy theater. Theater so, and D&D, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which really go hand in hand quite well. True. So, um, anything else? I know you've been working on, like, learning to pitch. You said you didn't play a lot of baseball growing up, but you've been, right. like, actually learning to pitch yourself now in your mid-30s? Yeah, so, funny enough, some of it was, you know, you hit your 30s, and I like to say, um, I don't know how to put this other thing. I think the warranty expires, and suddenly you go from, uh... From like, you know, oh, I could eat whatever I want and do whatever I want. And I still, I could be active-ish. And, uh, you know, I will be fine to like, oh, where'd that, where'd that ponch come from? You know, and uh, <laughs> so I was like, I need to find a way to exercise. But I've never been like a just go to the gym and pump iron kind of guy. I need like a motivational, like I need to be like part of a team or to work towards something. And so I said to myself, okay, I want to teach myself something. And, you know, first I thought about like joining a dojo or doing a martial arts or doing something like that. But then I realized that one of the things that was holding me back in my writing was that – and this is actually right around when I wrote the, the the John Means article we were talking about where I'm saying like, OK, I can tell someone what they need to do you know, and what they would maybe – how they can improve their, their thought process. But I couldn't if you were then – if like say John Means himself were to pull me over and go, OK, cool, but how? <laughs> I realized yeah. that like, I, I have no idea. I've never thrown a pitch in my life. I have no idea. And so I started buying some books uh, on pitching, right? And started bugging Nick incessantly on, on questions <laughs> and things. And uh, said to myself, okay, so maybe if I, even if I could never really like throw a good curveball, at least if I could figure out how you throw a curveball, I could start like, working my way through here's how you improve said curveball here's how you do this better i didn't want to just be like a numbers guy and that's it uh you know the, the, the stereotypical like you know nerd calculator with a pocket protector who walks up to the the, the, the baseball player and pushes his glasses up and it's like excuse me uh i think if you threw your curveball down in the zone more you'd be happier you know like <laughs> i want to be able to actually like talk baseball and so i bought like 50 baseballs. I bought a net um, and just started following what the book said, started throwing some things. I even bought like one of those uh, baseballs that has like the biometric chip in it. So Ooh. like it will tell me like the spin rate of my pitches and how uh, the, the speed of my pitches and how hard I'm throwing them, uh, how much break is in them, like that kind of thing. Right. And just started tinkering and playing with it. And it's, the first thing I realized is that it is I, I like it's so funny. I think we like put a lot of like emphasis on like how athletic you have to be to say play center field or be fast in baseball. And like I will openly tell you the first time I said that and I kind of tried to approach it like eventually building to this idea of like what if I was trying to throw like a hundred pitch baseball game. Right. And I can tell you the first time I did it, uh, which is about like two or three months into doing it. um, it's the most exhausting thing I've ever done in my life. Like you <laughs> sweat and you are tired. Your whole body aches muscles. You didn't even know could get tired or tired. Um, and it's one of those funny things that what I learned probably most from it, other than uh, one of the times, you know, I would do things like put a bucket on home plate and try and throw a curveball into it. 
Mm. And I did it once, and it was hilarious because the field I, I there's actually a baseball field, a public baseball field, like three blocks away from me where I live, um, and that's where I could go do this. They also it's often used mostly as a dog park, <laughs> um, and so there's people, all these people walking their dogs, and I throw this curveball, and it just does a perfect like twelve six because I I throw overhand. Um, I'm a you know over the top thrower, um, and it does this just perfect twelve six drop right in the bucket. And I just start screaming bloody murder and sprinting <laughs> around the diamond, uh, screaming obscenities at it. Like, bleep you. I told you I could throw a curveball. You know, like all these things. And I'm just going crazy. And there's just all these people with their dogs being like, who is this maniac? You know? That's amazing. Um, but like the biggest thing I noticed was like, and, and this was, I guess, the ultimate goal. Because I'm never going to pitch in like a game or do anything like that was... Learning the little things, aside from getting a respect for how tiring it is, of those things that, A, like when you get tired, uh, how you can notice the little things that shift in your body. Because I would record myself, and you could I could tell, like, my stride would suddenly be off. Mm. Or I wasn't uh, I wasn't focusing on those little things. It's like, uh, to go on a goofy tangent with this, one of the things that inspired this was the first time I met Nick Pollock, right? So I've been working for Pitchless for a little bit, and Nick was in Denver on business, Right. And he's like, we should we should meet. Let's have a beer. You're we're in town. Uh, I'm in town. Let's have a beer. So I'm like, cool. So I meet him for a beer and we end up having like five and we're sitting in this this bar drinking. And next thing you know, Nick is up and we're I'm talking to him about all this cool stuff about pitching ball. And he starts trying to explain stuff to me. Right. And so he gets up in the middle of this bar and starts like walking through the motions of. Like, you know, well, you got to make sure you get your chest out in front of the throw and lead this way with your arms. And we're in the middle of a, like a, a bar and he's doing this. I'm like, this, awesome. is, this, is, this is my guy. I will follow him into fire. Uh, this is this is, you know, so that's how I met him. And like I could notice now when I'm throwing and I watch the video and be like, ah, when I threw this ball way off and was way off the plate, I didn't leave my chest or my stride was off. And then I started watching baseball games and I could pick up those things. And so, like, it really genuinely helped with that. But then there were the little things that's like, uh, I remember the year before when Nate, when Blake Snell broke out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one reason that a lot of people were picking up on it was they said something silly, like, uh, it sounds silly, I should say, that he moved, like, three inches to the right on the rubber. And you're like, there's no way that makes a difference. That sounds dumb. And lo and behold, there was a point where I couldn't, uh, when I was first starting out, where I could not throw a strike to save my life right I, like I, I just was really having a hard time i had a lot of break on all my pitches but i could not throw a strike and i was like yeah what the heck and i moved like three inches over on the rubber like probably was more like six but whatever and lo and behold they all start going over the plate <laughs> and like i was like what the heck and uh so and i like had one where i shortened my stride a lot and that fixed a couple things it's just like one of those funny things that like it really let a lot of insight into what it means when we hear a pitcher tinker with certain things about his rotation or like now that we're seeing a lot of pitchers move their arm circle and change that. I really want to kind of mess around with my arm circle and see what that feels like and just stuff like that. It's been really cool. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. I, I am one of the few uh, like yourself at pitcherless who never played baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I would play catch with my dad, um, it is play catch. Um, <laughs> I, he would toss in a bunch of knuckle balls uh, and catch me in the lip every once in a while as it knuckles over my glove. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Um, <laughs> but the one pitch that I could ever really pick up 
was the circle change. Um, just throwing it basically off my, um, just my middle ring and pinky finger. Um, and I was able to get a decent amount of drop on that and catch, catch him like in the stomach or in the, in the thigh every once in a while, just Mm -hmm. getting it to drop below his glove. So I, it's very interesting to actually be on the delivering end of, of this and see, oh my gosh, this is actually how they do that. Like, I, of course I'm not moving it like a foot and a half like Corbin Burns, but this is right. how he does that. That's so cool. Oh, and like the feeling of like, you start connecting. Um, and to be for the record, if anyone hears this and thinks this is a good idea, um, it is a really cool idea. It's a really great way to stay in shape, especially if you don't have a ton of space. Cause like, I put up a net in my backyard uh, that, you know, I could then throw in my backyard just 30, 40 minutes a day and really get a nice workout in. Um, One thing I recommend is making sure you go and check, like, with your doctor, make sure your elbow is in good shape, your shoulders are in good shape, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, uh, so you don't blow anything out. But um, I found it was, like, I think a lot of people who played baseball go through this thing when they discover analytics and data where they're like, oh, I connected the things I've always done as a player to this thing that I'm now reading. And I went backwards. I'd read about spin rate and I'd be like, ah, I get what spin rate is or spin angle or, you know, the spin axis or things like that. And I'd be like, I get how the Magnus force works and I get all those things and understand them on a scientific standpoint. But then you go out there and you throw a curveball and you see the difference between if you come straight over the top versus if you bend it a little bit versus – um, the one pitch, weirdly enough, uh, this will make Nick roll over in his grave, but the one pitch I throw really well is a cutter and a spitter, a split finger. I throw the both of them really well. And it's funny that just when I did, when I figured out the cutter, just the way I throw it, I just kept tinkering with like, well, what happens if I come over the, the top, like straight over? What if I, and I started picking it and started seeing how it would break? And I'm like, oh my God, now I actually know how to manipulate the spin axis and the Magnus force of this pitch. And then, like, it, like I worked backwards. I went from the data to the action versus the action to the data. And it's just, it's been really cool. Yeah, that's that's honestly super intriguing just to kind of hear you, you know, talk about your kind of journey through that. Um, that's so cool. We're going to have to get you, uh, we're going to have to get you over and working with, uh, you know, the professionals one of these days yeah, just to go, see how that goes go over to like driveline for a day Ex- or something honestly <laughs> how cool would it be if we oh. like were able to like get you like a day at driveline i die it would be the best oh it'd be so cool there's actually it's really funny one day i'll put the money together um so colorado it's really interesting i didn't know this before i moved here is uh, a baseball state baseball's very big out here and it makes ton of a ton of sense that like uh, if you've ever been to Colorado, you go to Denver, and Denver's a dense, good, you know, uh, populous city. And you drive about ten minutes outside of Denver, and it is nothing, right? Oh it's, yeah, you're in farm country uh, almost immediately, right? And especially if you head in like eastern Colorado, when you get out in like the wheat fields and stuff out there, there's just nothing out there, and it's like fifteen minutes outside of Denver <laughs> to get there. Um, and so there's just baseball's pretty popular because there's just a lot of space for it, right? Um. And what's really interesting is that there are a couple uh, clinics out here, a couple places that do like the that you can go and rent into their batting cage. They have like Repsoto cameras and like all that stuff. It's expensive, but one of these days Dang. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do it and just get feedback and like be like, okay, cool. So I'll get like the actual like 
data into what I'm doing over there. <laughs> That's awesome. Looking forward to it. You're going to have to yeah. write it up when you do. I will. Uh, I have a bunch of video of me throwing, but um, the funny part of being an old man is uh, I can't get them off my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> plug it into my computer and just nothing comes up and I'm like I don't understand so one day I'll figure it out and I'll have an article up but I can I send did. you a link <laughs> okay there's, a, there's an easy that. application for that I promise there's a very oh. easy application okay. that I use I promise <laughs> I appreciate it that would be greatly appreciated because yeah I have like, you know, stuff. and I just like I keep doing the thing where like I'm plugging my my, my yep. iPad into my computer and like I'm watching the video on my iPad, and I see it there, and they're like, "No, no, I don't see it on your iPad." I, like, I no! assume you're using a. I assume you're using a PC. I am. Yep. <laughs> I, yeah. I, iPads. Just, I, Apple products don't really like PCs very much, but I can. I, I'll send you a link. It'll be fine. I, I appreciate there, you. There's right. there's right. the 35 to 25 coming in. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. All right, real quick, let's just touch on. You wanted to mention uh, you enjoy cooking and baking and video games. Let's talk. Let's talk about those just yeah, real quick here. Absolutely. So, uh, like many a bored white man who does not have work during the pandemic, um, I learned how to cook and bake because I had nothing else to do. Man, I really um, should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny is there's like this mix of like so I got really into baking for a while. I make bread um, and. Some of it was this like joyous, like I really enjoy the finding the things that you thought were like magic uh, when you were a kid. My grandma used to make her own bread and we lived in the house right behind her. And you just be like, Grandma, like, what is this witchcraft? You make fresh bread, blah, blah, blah. And then you look it up and you make bread the first time. You're like, oh, that was really easy. <laughs> you were you were bragging here, Grandma. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just this really rewarding sort of Zen thing that I really enjoy doing. And then cooking i find is this way of like growing as a person uh culturally speaking so like i try to like and my girlfriend will tell you and she loves it because you know i make all these weird delicious foods but uh like i'll get hooked on a, a specific culture so it'll be like a month of like okay i'm you know we're doing duck confit we're gonna make every french food i can think of you know we're gonna have a uh, bouillabasse or you know whatever right and we're i'm just gonna cook that up and then uh I was making a couple like more uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was making more like African dishes and stuff like that. Interesting. Um, and you know, like I, I find it a way to learn about the world a little bit and grow beyond just like these things that I know and I love. Cause uh, when I was younger, I was pretty much just like your typical Midwestern steak and potatoes, cheeseburgers, you know, yep. kind of guy. Get your and, bacon wrap pork chop in there. Yeah, exactly. And then I ended up moving – well, not moving. I shouldn't say that. I had to move to Spain. I went and visited Spain uh, with school. And it was like this eye-opening thing where I was like eating foods I had never dreamed of eating before or even knew existed. And was like there's this whole world of food that I love and, and I would love to learn more. And ever since then, I've just kind of really been into like uh, cooking and like Katie laughs. The worst thing she ever did was get me into TikTok because cook, cooking TikTok is like a thing. Oh, right? no. And most people see something they're like, oh, that sounds good. And then aren't immediately like, I'm making it tonight. <laughs> but that's exactly how I am. I will see a video of something. I'll be like, cool. So I'm going to go to the store and I'll be right back. Uh... <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, I just I really enjoy it. It's very fulfilling. I cannot cook to save my life. But luckily, my wife, Elizabeth, is a brilliant cook. Oh, nice. Uh, she she can make anything. Uh, 
to to roll back to Dungeons and Dragons for a moment, are you aware that they recently released a, an official Dungeons and Dragons cookbook? I did. I've seen it. I have not. I don't own it, but I, I, I own it. Yes. And we've made a few recipes from it, and none of them have been bad. They have all been good. Nice. That's awesome. So, I love would it. recommend. It's called okay. Heroes Feast. I will it's check it out. Very good. What kind of video games do you like to play? So it's interesting. It, it, like my my world of video games has changed a little bit over the last year because of, frankly, the pandemic. Obviously, everything's kind of changed because of it. But like before, I was very much of a like RPG. You know, uh, give me like some long drawn out sixty hour game that makes me feel things, and you know, <laughs> get you like uh, God of War and stuff like oh, yeah. that in there. Like to give you an idea, probably and it still probably is like the best video game experience I've ever had in my life was uh like The Last of Us or things like oh. that. You know, it's just such a great game. Um, so and th- good. that's typically like my style of game. But then once I couldn't go see people in public anymore, uh, video games became a very like became like my social life, right? So um, uh, lately I've been doing a lot more of those style of games where it's like me and my buddies hop on and. You know, whether it's playing something like a more Among Us or, um, you know, things like that or playing um, oh, what's that uh, like uh, the Hunt Showdown, like those kind of games or like, you oh, know, yeah. uh, which is like a one of those um, everyone's in a arena style game. And you have to like it's PVP plus PVE and all that stuff. I've really been enjoying more of those games because then we also sit around, we talk and we hang out, you know, and we have beers together, and, you know. Or um, we'll play like big like Civ Six games or stuff like that. So that's kind of where my video gaming has become more, is becoming more of a social thing. But I think as we ease back into regular life, so to say, I think I'll be doing going back more towards some of those RPGs and like I, I also really enjoy like, you know, those games that are just like you're starting to see those games where it's like only like a four hour five hour game, but mm-hmm. it's like a complete story. Like I don't know if you have you ever played Firewatch. I haven't, but I w- it's on my to-do list. It's on my backlog. It's a perfect, like, if you've just got a free night, you know, kind of thing. Because it's only, like, five or six hours long, right? Yeah. But it's just, like, one of the most... Because you basically play, and, like, this doesn't give anything away about it, but, like, you don't really interact with anybody except over a radio the entire yeah. game. And, like, you feel that as a player. And you're like, oh, so I like that stuff. It really plays in, like, the theater background and stuff. So that's kind of what I've been doing with video games. But I do spend a lot of time playing video games. I just got into valheim which has been a problem i have been looking at it and i'm like oh that looks fun <laughs> you ever wanted to spend like hours being like uh currently in the game to give you an idea i'm building a stone lighthouse on the coast and everyone's like why are you doing that it doesn't serve any purpose i'm like because it's it's cool. cool yeah like it's just one of those games that like you can easily get into the like i'm gonna power up i'm gonna be get all the resources and stuff like that and i'm like Viking Sea Resort. I'm building one. Let's do this. And they're like, okay, sure. <laughs> so it's awesome. a fun game. I definitely recommend it. But that's awesome. I'm yeah. currently playing a uh, this game called Thronebreaker. Um, it's it's a Witcher game by CD Projekt Red that okay. no one's ever heard of. It came out in 2018 and it sold horribly. Oh. Basically, it's a it's a very simple narrative game, but all of the combat and some of the puzzles and things like that are done through Gwent, this like Witcher mm-hmm. card game. Yeah, it's so intriguing the way that they have like changed some of the rules to make it a bit more intricate of a card game, and mm-hmm. how they can use those rules to 
make these puzzles. Like, there is a rock slide, and you need to destroy all the rocks before they crush your caravan oh, in a card game. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm it's in. So, all right. It's so intriguing. It's like, I'll have to check it out. It's like $8 on PlayStation Store right now. So cool. So w- would recommend. I, it's, right. a, I think it's very short. I've only, I put like four hours into it and i feel like i'm getting decent like close to halfway at this point oh nice very cool yeah it's a great time so you wanted to discuss uh what you had put into our notes as (laughs) quote the great misunderstanding of analytics usage in baseball yeah, I'm not a dramatic person at all. I definitely snuck that great in there, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, w- yeah, I made sure to change everything so that it wasn't title case, because clearly that needs to be in title case. Yeah, fair um, enough. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that we're not getting? So one of the things I think, and some of it, to be fair, is about the way we talk about analytics and the way we talk about uh, and you see it, uh, the, one of the big, cause I've kind of been on the, a rant about this subject for a couple months now. Um, and it reminds me of, uh, you know, Tim Kirchin, the ESPN yeah. reporter who's awesome. He's a great baseball reporter, great baseball mind, all those things. But he went on this rant on, uh, it was right after Kevin Cash had pulled Blake Snell in game seven of the world series and all that went on about how, this is what happens when you uh, only listen to the analytics when you when you just mm-hmm. let it tell you what to do and blah blah blah. And I realized that like as I'm listening to him go on and on about this, I'm like he fundamentally either is being disingenuous or he isn't getting it. And then this year, or so to go outside of baseball, um, I'm a Browns fan, and they just got a heavy analytics guy um, running everything over there. I, uh, D. Paul, Paul D. Podesta, right? You know, the money ball guy, right? Is now running the Browns. And when asked about it, him and the GM, Andrew Barry, were talking about it, and they said, listen, so much of sports is chance, right? It's just dumb freaking luck, you know? Uh, uh, how many times in baseball have you seen where the guy's standing right where the ball would get hit, but he moves a foot to his right and now he doesn't get it, right? Like, it's just dumb luck. There's yeah. nothing to do with anything, right? Um, and baseball, especially is this big giant random number generator. And the way they described analytics was the point is every single thing we can make, not random. We can then better account for the randomness, you know, the randomness. Right. And so when, you know, something like say Kevin Cash is going to pull Blake Snell, if he's absolutely saying no matter what Blake Snell hits six innings, I pull him or he hits three times with the order. This is uh, Joe Madden used to do this with Kyle Hendricks. No matter what, Kyle Hendricks never pitched more than five innings. That was it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then he's not understanding how that works. What they're saying is most of the time, if you don't, if you use analytics, this is likely to be the outcome. You know, it's all probability. And like the best, uh, like the best analogy I've ever heard about was I was reading this book and I'd have to look up the title of the book. Um, but it's, by this this psychologist who's written a couple books on it that are really fascinating, but she wrote this book about how she went from being a psychologist to uh, becoming a professional poker player, right? And okay, yeah, right. And so she she um, what she said was, you know, at some point she's a, a psychologist, she's a mathematician, she knows math, 
right? And probability, she knows statistics. She's like, man, you know, so she basically did the like, well, if I play the statistics and the probability enough, I could be pretty good at poker. And she wasn't. And she's like, I don't understand. And it's because all she would focus on was the results, right? And she would lose and these things. And she'd be like, oh, but I, I should have, uh, you know, I should have won this, but I, I didn't. And that's what she would focus on. But then when she started adjusting to essentially every hand she would lose, she'd still look and go, yeah, but was my thought process sound? And there'd be times where she'd do a hand and be like, no, that was a mistake. I definitely shouldn't have done that. There'd be times where she's like, ah, the cards and the situation and all those things said, yeah, I should do what I did. And it just didn't work. And once she did that, she actually became an excellent poker player and started winning and started winning tournaments and started winning money uh, and stuff like that. And I feel like that's like emblematic of this this issue is that what uh, what Kevin Cash, what if, if you know Kevin Cash would look at this and say, uh, not to speak for him, but that he would say, listen, I looked at the numbers. I made an educated decision as opposed to a blind decision. And my process was sound and it didn't work. Right. And we can make the argument that it probably it might not have been sound from a, a scouting standpoint or all those things. But the point is that analytics are about helping you make a sound decision, but it's still your decision. Um, I think anyone who works in like business analytics or any of those things will tell you that like it still takes a human to to interpret the numbers and things like that. So I feel like we do it a disservice when we start talking about it, like this this set in stone concrete thing. Instead of it being like, this is a thing that lets us screw up less often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, especially in fantasy baseball, where we can see this come up fairly often, is projections. Mm-hmm. You see projection models from Steamer, ATC, AtBat, Zips, whatever it is. Um and I think a lot of uh, fantasy baseball players, especially those that are kind of just getting into it or maybe aren't as, you know, well versed in the underlying statistics and stat cast and stuff like that as mm-hmm. you and I and a lot of our listeners are. They'll look at those projections and they'll say to themselves, OK, so John Means, uh, just because I have his page still pulled up when we were talking about him earlier. Nice. John Means is projected for 28 games, like a 453 ERA. 122 strength counts. I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to be seeing here. Right. But anyone who, you know, properly understands where those projections are coming from mm-hmm. will tell you that there it's a very flawed art. Um, it's, it's ridiculously difficult to get those set up to be anywhere close to good and the fact that they're as close as they are a lot of times is amazing i don't i don't i don't mean this as a dig on folks who do projections or anything like that the work you do is crazy and boggles my mind but i think a lot of times we lean too hard on projections when we're preparing for drafts and things like that um because like you said baseball is a random number generator um when I was describing to two of my friends who don't like baseball or don't watch, um, what's the appeal of fantasy baseball? I told them that there's, there's a satisfaction that comes along with taking this extremely random thing 
trying to take a bunch of numbers to understand the randomness Mm -hmm. and trying to predict and control as much of the chaos as you can. Absolutely. Yeah. And And that's what, that's what statistics are meant for. And that's, I think it's kind of what you're trying to say as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you put that really well. And fantasy is kind of, especially since it's like the most popular context we, we look at these things in and it's like, I, I think with projections, um, one of the things that there should be is like in, in statistics, have you ever heard of a thing called confidence interval? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think when you give out a, pro, a projection, it should come with a confidence interval, right? Um, or uh, one of those big things that I'm a big fan of is like um, if you ran, say, because a lot of those projections are created using models, right? So you put it through a model yeah. and it creates it out. Is if you've ever seen those sort of like bell chart, those bell graphs where it's like a big mound, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the projections, you'll use something like that to be like, okay, so at the top is where the, if I ran this 500 times, these are the ones that occurred the most and these are the ones that occurred the least. Uh, things like that, that we could do a better way of being clear about how those things work yeah. so that people would better understand that that these outcomes come in. And on top of it, like, they're human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, that's super random in that, like, I know I've there are days I'm on the top of my game. There are days that there's for no given reason I feel like crap that day or, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, most given days I feel like crap, but that's too irrelevant. Right. Exactly. And, like, there, <laughs> uh, but there, you know, that there are so many things we can't account for, that, you know, with human beings, with players, with the weather, with all sorts of stuff that's like all that the goal is to do is say, okay, well, if I use the analytics and this is one less thing of randomness that can come in and screw up whatever's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we could do, and it's hard because we're stuck in that place where, especially if you're a fantasy baseball guy doing uh, say projections or whatever. And again, I'm with you. They're wizards. The things that they do, uh, you know, with, you know, whether it's ATC or the bat or Pe- uh, Pakoda or whatever, like they're all just remarkable mm-hmm. um, for how accurate they really are. But that there's like this level of, I feel like also it's not, we've put them in this place where it's not in their best interest to be clear. Like it's in their best interest as uh, from a business and brand standpoint to be like, yeah, this is magic. Woo. <laughs> you know? And I feel like uh, I think, if we really want people to better understand um, both statistics and baseball, uh, maybe it's about having more clarity and less surety and being like, you know, less about like, you know, uh, more of a range of outcomes, more of a range of things than it is surety. But that's just, it's just the thing that bugs me is that people talk about being like, Oh, well you said if they do this, the analytics told them this would happen. It's like, no, the analytics told them this might happen. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or that it's probable it'll happen. And and the the crazy part is probable, as in like there's a thirty percent chance because again in baseball, if you're a hitter and you fail seven out of ten times in your career, and you do that for fifteen years, you're going into the Hall of Fame. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You basically so, described Tony Gwynn, right? Yeah, like this is that's what baseball is. So adding that level of acceptance for failure 
to a level of randomness is insane. I don't know if you caught it. One of the um, PitchCon uh, panels that I missed and really wanted to catch, so I'm going to have to go back and watch it, was the Creating a Projection System panel. Mm-hmm. Um, Ariel Cohen, who does ATC, was oh. on there. Rudy Gamble, Ron Chandler, and Derek Carty. Mm-hmm. Very smart men. Four yeah. smart guys all talking about how how they work on their own personal projection models. So I'm very much looking forward to going back and kind of getting a peek behind the curtain, if you will. Because I, I agree, like you said, there there is a sort of a an economics of wanting to keep your trade secrets and keeping your model, your formula, uh, kind of behind wraps. Because that's a, a lot of these guys, you know, monetize that. That's how they make money. So yeah. there, it's it's... There's such a weird dichotomy between making as much data available to the public as possible versus we need to hold on to this or at least how we come up with this uh, so that uh, we can, you know, kind of protect that. Yeah, if everyone can do it, then why would they come to you, right? You know, exactly. and, and there's nothing evil or terrible about that, no. right? Yeah, um, it's I always, just kind of how it works. I always laugh because I always have a personal connection to uh to projection systems because so i um when i was i played like i said i played football and rugby and year for years and years and amazingly i've never got any concussions playing rugby but between football and i played football for like 12 years between football and wrestling i've had like six concussions in my oh, life right yeah one of them i was oh, actually yikes. like not to get, like, but I got, like, I actually was, like, knocked unconscious for, like, an hour, for, like, not an hour, sorry, for, like, a minute, and then was out of it for hours, right? Oof. Went to the hospital, all kinds of stuff. I don't, I couldn't tell you anything that happened that day, like, that kind of concussion, right? And as you get older, it starts to really have an effect on your, on your cognitive skills, right? And, uh, you know, so I struggle with memory or things like that. And so I talked to my, I went and saw a, uh, uh, a psychologist, right? And said, okay, tell me what I should, uh, you know, what What should I do? Because, you know, uh, things like Alzheimer's and stuff runs in my family. So I'm like, what can I do to help? And they're like, two things. Learn a new language, which I did. Um, I learned French. Uh, and then I'm like, and do math every day. Just do something that's at least somewhat challenging math every single day. And I was like, great, cool. So I was like, well, I, I didn't really do much math. My life didn't really call for much math. What should I do? And I was playing fantasy baseball. And I said to myself, aha. I'm going to do something with baseball and um, uh, Mike Potholzer does a, he puts out a book called like projecting X, I think is the name of it. And it's literally like the book is how to create a projection system, right? Using like his system, hmm. how to do your own projections. And so I spent an entire off season doing my projections and all of these things. And kids or not, they turned out to be kind of accurate. Right. And hey. I won my fantasy league that year. And so we come back around the, the, this is in 2017, 2018 rolls around and I start to do them again. And I was listening to the On the Corner podcast and Nick comes out and says, you know, puts out the first that huge call where it's like, we're looking for writers. We're going to go out. And I'm like, there's no way I can't do this. And my girlfriend's like, you've written plays and you just did this two years in a row. You should just give it a shot. And I, I ended up applying because that projection system thing I'd done. And then Nick hired me and I've been here ever since. So it's, there's like this weird tie in that I'll always be partial to these projection systems but i highly recommend it to anyone not just because it helps and helps you win leagues and understand statistics better but like you get an idea of just how random some of those things are 
uh, and how that kind of works a little better. So I definitely recommend it. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually didn't know. It's, it's interesting to hear kind of what a lot of the staff was doing before they got hired. Yeah. Uh, Nick always likes to bring up my, before I was hired, I, w- I worked with a site called underdog sports. Oh, nice. I have, I have no idea if they're still a website or not. Um, <laughs> but the one piece that caught his attention, I posted on the fantasy baseball subreddit. And one piece that caught his attention, I did a, uh, really looking back on it, it was a very like surface level uh, mathematical analysis. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at if um, a team has a long run in the postseason, mm-hmm. will the pitchers of that team perform worse in the following season? Uh, yeah. This was this was following the Cubs had done their 2016 thing, and then a lot of those pitchers from the Cubs. Uh, ended up not performing near as well in 2017. Um, Chapman, John Lester, guys like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, is there something to this? It turns out not really. No, um, yeah. but the, but it was worth looking into. I thought Absolutely. so. It's yeah. It's just one of those things where a lot of what we do as fantasy baseball analysts, if we choose, so choose to call ourselves that, uh, was we ask questions and see if there are stats that we can find that will back up those questions, if they will give us an answer. I always laugh about a, a, um, a huge influence on my thought process, um, you know, and you'll hear me if you ever really get me to dive deep on this. I'm a Bayesian thinker, and I do all these things that are like these very, uh, you know, philosophical yet statistical and like all these things about my process but a big influence on what so my my girlfriend katie is uh she's a chemist uh has a phd Hmm. in chemistry and is also has a master's in data science right and so obviously like when you talk about like doing rudimentary math or whatever it's like yeah my whole life is compared to like the simplest thing she does right like everything but um but one of the things that she talks about is there's i forget what it was but it was very early on i was invest in did sort of the same process i'm like can we do this big, huge statistical deep dive on this one question? And I'm going to see if it has any effect on it whatsoever. And I had a hypothesis. I had this whole thing. And I was totally wrong. It had no no influence on it whatsoever. And I was like, oh, well, I should even write the article. And Katie's like, yes, of course you should. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because science does this all the time. You, you do a, a – that confirming something isn't the case is still a finding, right? Even confirming something you already knew to be true is Absolutely. still finding. So. You know, it is that really interesting thing that's like, you know, even if it's just finding out that the thing you thought was true isn't, that's still valuable. And, and so that's a really, that's interesting. Yeah, I took a fair amount of statistics courses in college. I was a psychology major and a lot, turns out a lot of psychology is just uh, statistics. Right. Uh, I didn't know that going in. And I <laughs> was not pleased when I learned that, but then I, it's worked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, 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 that's absolutely true. Like I, for my like capstone of my major, I had to do my own original study and I had this whole thing. I brought in like dozens of uh, my classmates to do this study. And at the end of it, the results were like, oh, that there's zero correlation here. There's there is minuscule correlation. Right. And I, I was like, Professor, uh, I did all of this and there's I got very little to show for it. And she's like, that's fine. That just means that whatever you thought turns out that's not the case. But now we know 
that's not the case. Right. So that like that is a result. Yeah. No, that it, it's just once you start getting that mentality, I think everything becomes clearer. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. And it's I, I don't know. I, I haven't done a ton of writing recently for Pitching List, but when I do, a lot of times I will, I like to find a question and be like, and ask myself, for example, um, is Marcus Semyon going to break out? Was my first article I ever wrote for Pitcher List in 2017, and I was a year too early. Uh, and I was like, can I find evidence that will say he should or is he just kind of gonna be this kind of average player forever and i found a bunch of evidence that was like he's barreling the ball more he he's changing his launch angle there's there's active changes that he's been making over the past few years that he is trending upward Mm -hmm. and then in 2018 he just kind of did his thing again and then 2019 look marcus Semyon, he's so good he's a He's an MVP candidate, and now he's not so good anymore. But honestly, I think he's going to be good this year. So I'm, with I'm you. very in on Marcus Semyon. You and me both. Yeah. Uh, no. Absolutely. One of my. It's, it's one of those guys that uh, I feel like we all have them where it, you just kind of get stuck on a guy, mm-hmm. and you're just like, I don't know if we'll ever be able to quit him. Anthony Descalfani is going to be good one year. That, that's, <laughs> that was my first pitcher list article was Anthony Descalfani, and I'm still convinced he's going to be good one year. Hey, he's pitching in a better ballpark now. There you go, right? That's a start. Uh, good stuff. Well, all right, man. I think we're going to go ahead and get into some of our mailbag questions yeah, here. Yeah, sounds great. So, like I mentioned at the top, guys, a large portion of the podcast is devoted to answering your guys' questions on the air. So... If you have questions for me and my guest each week, you can go ahead and tweet them directly to me at Bristowski or you can join our PL Plus Discord server. Now, some of you who are on the, already on that server, you already know, Daniel Port is like kind of the OG mod of the server. He's our community manager. He is basically in charge of the mod team, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, so... You have a very, very personal relationship with the Discord server. What would you say is are a couple of your favorite things about our Discord server? Well, and I'll get cheesy for a second. Obviously, it's the Discord. My favorite thing is the Discord members. Um, is is that it's such a wild thing, and that like most of my job is to make sure that everyone doesn't fight and play nice, but then uh, just keep everything organized. And it's amazing how many times like. How, how essentially they regulate in so many ways themselves that like they have taken upon themselves to just be like when I say, hey, we're going to have a productive, uh, kind, safe place for everyone to be like they take that just as seriously as we as the staff and we as the mods do. And that's it's very impressive and, and testifies to, I think, frankly, some of the 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 leadership of Nick and of us as a staff and stuff like that, but also just to them and the quality of people that we've pulled in. But one of my favorite things too, is just that there have been so many uh, organic things have kind of come out of it um, that have actually brought that discord closer together. And, and like you see certain like almost friendships pull out of it where like, um, you know, uh, Christopher Weber uh, on discord, it's Schwebzy, one of our mods is like friends with like half the people on the discord where they'll like go play, oh, yeah. a, they go play in a, among us together or 
you know, uh, now they've started doing, they do trivia night on Tuesday nights where literally the entire Discord comes together and basically forms one team and an online uh, trivia uh, game. Like, they do stuff like that together. And most of that happened organically. Um, and some of it we've we've put together. Like, you know, um, uh, last year we did um, the, we did a, almost like a, fa- I put together a family feud uh, that we're going to, we're hopefully going to bring together. It's all baseball oriented. Right. So like we sent out surveys and got everyone to answer them just like a family feud survey uh, on the game. And then we actually had like people come in and compete and we're going to do it again this year and probably broadcast it in the in the discord so people can have fun with it. It's going to be a really good time. But we do stuff like that. We do watch parties, all that stuff like that. And what's fun is that that all kind of happened organically within the community and people really have taken it, taken it on. Yeah. One of the coolest stories, I think, to come out of our Discord server, uh, I won't use names, but one of the supporters uh, recently moved across the country and I believe has moved in with the father of one of our staff members. Really? Which is insane to me. I'm pretty sure these these two people did not know each other before mm-hmm. they were on the Pictureless Discord server. And now... He, this guy has moved, like, like I said, across the country. He was living in Tennessee and moved out to the West Coast. Uh, it's crazy. That's awesome. Me. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think it is one of those funny things that it's totally cliche to say this. And I totally get if you're listening to this and you're skeptical in some ways when I say this. But it's really true that, like, a lot of that Discord has become a bit of a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and truthfully, like, the fascinating thing is I've done these Discords where... You know, you join and then, you know, they say it's like a family, but then you have to kind of break into the family. It's like a click in high school. And it's absolutely not like that. And that's something that I really I think is really impressive on their parts that 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 community really just like brings you in if you want to be a part of it. But also, frankly, and to be fair, if you're also in that range of like, well, I just kind of want to come in and ask some fantasy advice or things like that. There's plenty of space for that, too, that you're not like required to to buy in so much or feel you can feel it out and it's you know that what 10 bucks a month it's a pretty easy buy-in price to check it out i highly recommend it but it's just a it's a very rewarding thing so there you go our lead mod is very kind so if you're interested in hopping on that po plus discord server uh go ahead and run, <laughs> run on over to pictureless.com slash plus you can check out some of our plans there so all of our questions tonight are from the server Let's go ahead and get to Ben Brown, one of our good buddies on the staff, recent uh, recent guest from on the list. He wants to know what some of your favorite local beers and breweries are in that uh, Boulder, Colorado area. Ah, uh, yes. So, um, I you know, it's funny is that it can be a little daunting to keep up with because there's I think I think right now Denver in the Denver Boulder area has. I think the most I think it's the most brews per capita of anywhere in the in the country right now. It's, it's see I think I think uh Ben said his his hometown in Maine uh was that as well. You two yeah. down to fight. Oh, I mean it, it's probably they uh, like it's probably shifted since the last time I looked at the numbers, but it's like right up there with it and and I I, I won't fight cuz I just like kind of curl up in a ball <laughs> and uh he'll just kind of whoop up on me. Um uh but out in this area, man, there's just so much good beer out here. And like, you know, right now I'm drinking. Um, what's really fun is they become uh, you start to see causes and breweries pop up that are more about supporting uh, other things and stuff like that. But so for years, I worked as a as a brewer out here. That was the first job I had when I came out here. 
Um, and I brewed beer for about four or five years. And when at the place I brewed, which is this place called Factotum Brew House, they're great. They're a real, real local sort of brew, tap room. Um, but when I was brewing, designing for them, we had another brewery come in and sort of like brew beers in our facility and then, you know, uh, you know, sell it in their site. It was this place called Lady Justice. And since then, they've gotten their own place, their own brewing equipment. And they're incredible. Uh, that's what I'm drinking right now. It's, they're called Lady Justice. And you can't see because it it's all uh, phased out. But they um, <laughs> they gosh, they just are awesome because all their beer goes to like a lot of their proceeds will go to like. Uh, it's run by a bunch of uh, all women and all the proceeds go to like helping, uh, you know, women's shelters or helping causes or, you know, going towards uh, helping women and things like that. And that's something that I like really wanted uh, to support. So um, and they do cool things like, you know, special beer releases and stuff like that every every month. So uh, we really support them. So they're probably my favorite in the area. But if you ever come in town, Great Divide is awesome. Um, uh the big one out here, you can sometimes find everywhere. If you want to get a taste of like Colorado beers, Avery or New Belgium, mm. uh, both they yep. make really, really great beers. Um, but yeah, if you come in town, I recommend highly checking out Lady Justice or Great Divide um, are probably two of my favorites uh, out in the area. Very nice. Yeah, I was uh, I was just at my uh, Elizabeth and I's favorite microbrewery today for lunch and uh, – Recently, they had one that they did it just a very short. They did like one vat of this brew. Um, it was a white ale called uh, Bernie's Mittens because oh. they're fant- they're fantastic yes. at naming beers. That's awesome. And all the proceeds for that one uh, went to the Greensboro um, Food Bank. Like, oh, that's awesome! Any anyone who bought that beer, all the proceeds, none of it went back to the brewery. That's uh, South End Brewing here in Greensboro. Big fan. They they're great people there, and they brew some delicious beer. Oh, that's wonderful! That's very very cool. I like that a lot. So, uh, Dave Sherman, my good buddy and yours, wants mm-hmm. to know what's some what's one of the best dishes you've made. You said you've gotten really into cooking. Mm-hmm. What's 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 real good? Oh, you're making me pick my favorite children here. Um, <laughs> I think in the long run, so the uh, two dishes that I've really probably the most proud of are either, and you'll appreciate this as a, uh, a Southern boy, um, I make a really good buttermilk fried chicken. Uh, yeah, it just, oh my gosh. It, like the, the first time I made it, everyone just like, we plowed through and I made like three pounds of chicken worth and turn around and everyone's like, so there's not more. And we're like, <laughs> okay, all right. So like, that's one that I'm particularly proud of because I love fried chicken as well. Um, but I, I do enjoy, sometimes I'll make these uh, dishes where it's like essentially each piece kind of where you can make every part of everything. Um, so another one I did once I made like my own pretzel buns and then I made these burgers that I stuffed with pimento cheese and then grilled them. And oh, oh my God, just one of the oh best boy. things I've ever eaten. Um, so that's like definitely up there for one of them. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's those are probably my top two that I've just been like, oh, my God, uh, I have to make those again. Or, you know, people come back to me and be like, so is Dan making that thing? Those are two of them that people really like <laughs> um, that, I, that I'm particularly proud of. 
That's awesome. My uh, so living in the South now, but from the Midwest, like you, I'm from a tiny town uh, south of Chicago in the mm-hmm. middle of Illinois. Um, my church growing up every year, and they were they've been doing this for like 70, 80 years now. Mm-hmm. But every year in the middle of March, they will do the St. Paul Chicken Supper. Ooh. They will make hundreds of pounds of fried chicken. Oh. This is it, like the whole uh, church uh, comes together to make this happen. Hundreds of pounds of fried chicken. We get uh, green beans and bacon mixed together. We get uh, so many rolls it, uh. and <laughs> the and the whole community of Pontiac, Illinois comes on out and it's like 10 bucks a plate maybe mm-hmm. maybe cheaper than that uh we i think we keep like a three quarters of the proceeds to help pay for stuff with the church but then we always donate a uh, portion to local causes and things like that along those lines so it's fried chicken and i have a very strange relationship <laughs> where you know growing up i would for one night in March, I would spend the day at my church, and at the end of it, after I'd been serving tables all day, uh, I would go home and have to take like three showers because my hair would smell like fried chicken. Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but oh boy, so good oh, every time. One other one. So I have a reputation uh, amongst one person, frankly, because she's the only one who's here when I cook. Usually, um, that I'm one of those classic people who like I can't. Katie's like a wizard at making like, okay, I made this dish. It's got three courses and I used one thing to like one pan to make it. And I'm like, no, if I've cooked and haven't used like every pot and pan we have in the house, (laughs) uh, I didn't do my job right. And I forgot one that I'm really proud of is have you ever had soup dumplings before? I only like once. So I love them. They're maybe one of my favorite foods, if not my favorite food. And it's like essentially you take to make them, you take this and you make this essentially like it's a pork soup, right? Uh, like you make a soup that you just like sit pork in and you boil it and it sits and you cook it for like three hours and this stuff. And then you take that soup and you uh, it's kind of gross, but you dump gelatin in it like jello, mm-hmm. you know, like gelatin into it. And then you uh, you let it sit in the fridge for like a day and you make it and then you essentially wrap that gelatin in like a little, you know, noodle right and make a little dumpling out of it and then you steam them and it's like a three-day process by the time you're all done with it and i did it once and i'm like they were delicious and i was so proud of it but it was also like this thing where i'm like oh my god i don't know if i could ever do that we're just gonna get them out (laughs) i I had a buddy who tried to make soup dumplings one time uh but i don't think he knew how yeah because he he ended up taking this like large syringe basically and tried to just make the dumpling and then inject the broth. Oh, oh yeah. That didn't work at all. Oh, those have... those did not survive the steaming. Oh no. Not at all. <laughs> it was a mess. Oh. What he did steam the like the 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 dumpling and the meat itself still tasted good, mm-hmm. but they weren't dumplings anymore. Oh. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's so you best... mentioned... Yeah, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say, sometimes the best part about cooking is that you can even screw up and it's like, ah, oh, this tasted good. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. This is... We'll just eat these with a fork and we'll put it all in a bowl and it's now soup. It'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's dumpling soup. 
Ta-da. <laughs> you mentioned him before, Chris Weber. Uh, Schwebsy was asking, uh, what are some new f- 6.0 features that you're most excited about? You know, we just got that brand new launch. What are you excited about? So, I mean, aside from, obviously, if you haven't been to the site and seen them yet, uh, you have to absolutely go see um, the player pages. They're just astonishing. It's really something that, you know, I know was a big, kind of the big piece, and it, it's worth it being the big piece um, in that sense of, obviously, no disc to fan graphs, no disc to baseball reference, none of those. But, like, you've done enough research, you've done enough of these things where, Half the time when I was writing something or looking into a player, I had like four pages open, right? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, and now even, you know, especially if it's a pitcher, I've got Alex Chamberlain's that leaderboard up and you've got all these things. And now it's like, boom, one place. I got it, you know, with with game logs, with everything. And it's just it's a really remarkable thing that they put together to do that. And so I want to make sure that's like the big thing. Um, And then. Probably for me, uh, not that I'm personally invested in it or anything, uh, but I yeah. honestly think the the podcast the podcast network thing launching is just a really incredible thing with uh, with 6.0 that just have so many. I think at, at times I've always sat down and said like, well, there's only really like two ways to do a baseball podcast, right? There's either fantasy baseball podcast and we have thousands of those, or there's, you know, yeah, we're just going to talk about the news and do those things and. Instead of seeing these like 16 uh, unique, really fascinating, different, you know, we've got history podcasts. We've got let's just chat, you know, and talk and baseball's going to be in there somewhere. Podcasts. We've got, you know, we've got fantasy po- baseball podcasts. We've got all sorts of things. And it's just like, yeah, I think it really does a great job of celebrating baseball. And so I think it's a cool, cool thing that they have put that together. And you've got one that you are now working on. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you got for cooking. Yeah, so I'm one of the co-hosts of Command the Zone uh, with Mary Ankenbrook and Callan Elslager. Uh, we, it's a really, we kind of came together and sort of Voltron these two ideas that we had uh, for, for podcasts and what we wanted to do where we spend a decent chunk of the podcast uh, the beginning of it, so to say, talking about like what news is going on in the week, what what goes on, and then we pick almost like if you want to think of it as like uh, I think when we talked about it, it in the imagining process is going to be something like some mix of like a John Oliver type thing where you talk about all the news, and then there's one big subject that we're going to cover, right? And then doing it in like a, almost like a round tabley type format, more like um Brian Gumbel's the Sports Reporters kind of like sure. process, kind of we described it mixed in like what like Katie Nolan does or, um, uh, uh, God, what's her, what's her name that covers the NBA? Um, uh, but, uh, you know, Rachel, God, I can't I'm not the one to ask. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, those are kind of things that we were talking about. It's like all these different things that we really wanted to see come through. And I, we're, we're getting the hang of it. It's kind of fun. We've covered everything from, you know, we're doing all the, uh, the different, uh, uh, free agent signings, uh, in the beginning of breaking down. Cause that's kind of most of the news we're seeing right now. But then for our big subjects, these big roundtables we've done, we've covered uh, for the first one we talked about like mental health in baseball because I was right around when Angelton Simmons was talking about uh, his struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did uh, for the second, you know, we did we basically broke down all the trades and all the things that had gone on and whether or not that's good for baseball, whether or not it's bad for baseball, why is it happening? And then we just had Michael Jetto on to talk about. We did a big roundtable on the Kevin Mather controversy. 
Ooh, uh, okay. which was really fun. Uh, that was our third episode, and we just to give you an idea, the third, the fourth roundtable was so good, and so, we had so much fun. We had Noah Scott and um, and Brandon Riddle from uh, Short Hops and Tall Tales on to talk mm-hmm. about the Hall of Fame, and it was such a good discussion. We ended up going for like an hour and a half. And that was before the news. And so we ended up just making the two episodes because we're just like, we don't want it. We can't edit this. This is just a fun thing. And so it's just really just fun sort of like let's dive into really getting into baseball and the bigger picture stuff, you know, kind of look at it. I like that. That's good. Cool. Yeah. yeah. At this point, if you like baseball podcasts and you are starred for content, we have – the solution because we have so much content for uh, you so so much content and you know uh like i said whatever kind of thing you dig about baseball there's we have a podcast that covers it at this point and you can find us we're at at cmd the zone on twitter or um you can also email us at cmd the zone at gmail.com uh you can reach out to me like i said at, at daniel j port um talk about it whatever you can find our command the zone run apple stitcher all of those good things so are all of our podcasts um but yeah uh, it's just a it's really a remarkable thing to see and see it, all these different voices talking about the sport it's just really cool that's awesome well that's about what i've got yeah. daniel closing thoughts well thank you so much for having me on obviously uh, it's always a pleasure uh you know to get to hang out with you and chat baseball, uh, Austin, you know, I, I think, you know, you've been one of my, my longest friends here at the, at the site. And so it's always fun to get to hang out with you. Um, but, uh, yeah, just closing thoughts are just baseball's coming right around the corner. We're gonna have a lot of fun this season. We hope everyone stays safe. Hope we stay safe. Everyone oh, stays safe, stay safe, wear masks, get vaccinated, do all that good stuff. Um, Absolutely. and hopefully we'll have a good season, you know? It's it's gonna be good. I am I'm crossing every finger I have that there's gonna be fans at the Atlanta All Star Weekend, and maybe I could be in attendance. We will see. That would be awesome. But uh, but if it doesn't happen, for you know, I understand because I just like you said, I want people to be safe. My my wife is a healthcare professional, so oh, okay. It's this is we've been taking things very seriously in the Bristow household. For sure, and obviously, thank uh, if she's been neck deep in all of this. Obviously, thank thank you to her for that. That's awesome. But uh, it's been a lot. <laughs> I, I would imagine, and, and more power to her. That's a really remarkable thing. So uh, we appreciate that, obviously. Um, but yeah, uh, that's baseball's going to be there, and it's you know that's kind of always that thing that perseveres throughout all the, the bad times, right? So, well, uh, I'm looking forward to the season getting started. Uh, last question I have for you. Yes. Uh, who among the Cleveland hitters, excluding Jose Ramirez, mm-hmm. if you exclude Jose Ramirez, who is going to be the uh, MVP among Cleveland hitters in 2021? Ooh, I like that. Um, I think if you exclude Jose Ramirez, I think the easy answer is going to be, if you want like a sure bet, uh, I'm going to go Eddie Rosario. Since they did sign him That's this year, one. I think he's just I mean, we know what Eddie Rosario is going to be, and he's a great hitter, right? So I think if you wanted me to give it a, like a firm, concrete answer, I'd guess Eddie Rosario. If you made me go out on a limb uh, and I want to pick a fun one, I I really, really, really like um, everything that Fran Reyes does 
I think he's going to be mm-hmm. great. I think he's going to be really good this year. Because the other candidates I think of are going to be guys who, like, I think Nolan Jones could come up and have a really good year um, as a prospect. But he, that's not going to be till May or June, you know. So I think that's, like, one of those things that a lot of the players who I think could be really good for them this year are, are kind of – they're going to have – we're going to get a half season out of them, you know, kind of thing. Sure. So if you're asking me, like, a full season, who do I think is going to be really great, I think it's either probably Fran Mill Reyes or Josh Naylor. But I'm going to go Fran Mill. I like it. Good picks. Well, all right, man. One more time, they can find you on Twitter at? At Daniel J. Port. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been fun. Uh. And we will catch you all next time on The List. Mm-hmm.